From WBUR and Reddit, Endless Thread is back with a new special series. Madness, the secret mission for mind control and the people who paid the price. Light deprivation, shock treatment, hallucinogenic drugs, and she lost her soul. Subscribe to Endless Thread on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Produced by the iLab at WBUR, Boston. You know, people listening to this, Eddie, um, we make it sound effortless because that's our job. But of course, we're professionals. We're professionals. <laughs> but what people may not know is that the entire day, on the days when we record, I am scrambling, running around, super stressed about what we're going to say today, making sure it sounds good. And I'm just literally eating the entire day, snacking, like running to the kitchen to put off doing things that I have to do for this because I'm scared. <laughs> and I thought this whole podcast was supposed to help with food, not make it worse and make me eat more. Oh, gosh, Yuna, you sound so stressed out. <laughs> Let's just take a deep breath. Okay. You ready? In through your nose. Out. Okay. How do you feel now? A little better. I All can right. just feel my heart pounding. <laughs> <laughs> so who'd you talk to this week? This week, I actually had a meeting with John Denninger, and it started off in a different kind of way than my other meetings usually start. Oh, just, do you have, you don't have any, do you dislike the smell of wood fires? No. Okay, good. I love because the my, smell of wood did fires. Did you, oh, smell my tea then. Oh. Have you ever heard of, um, that song Ooh, Suchong? No, what is that? It's, it's a tea, of, a very old tea. Um, yeah. I mean, it's been around for a long time. So all the smell of wood fires and tea and whatever is pretty befitting because John Denninger is a pretty chill guy. I am the director of research here at the Benson Henry Institute for Mind-Body Medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital. Basically, he studies the mind-body connection. You know, as a psychiatrist, I really see the brain as part of the rest of the body and the mind as part of the brain. And... Our distinction between those two parts, the mind and the body, is really an artificial one. Mind-body connection is really just a way of thinking about how intimately the two are connected. So, Yuna, when I'm talking to people about approaching a health goal, they really approach it mostly through their body. They talk about the movement, should I exercise? But in this episode of Food We Need to Talk, I think it's time for us to talk about how your body interfaces with your mind. If your primary concern is actually your physical health, your weight, your diet, you can't address it without first digging into the mental aspects. I'm Dr. Eddie Phillips. And I'm Yuna Jada. And today we're talking about one thing that unites us all, no matter what race, no matter what religion, no matter what gender, no matter what political party, <laughs> if you can believe it, one thing that we all have in common is stress. And the kinds of stress that we experience today are a lot different and back in our ancient history, John Denninger says, think about our early ancestors over the course of human evolution. If you're a primitive person and you're walking along the savannas of Africa and all of a sudden you notice a lion, a little ways off, not close enough to kill you right this moment, but close enough to potentially decide they want to chase you. You might notice a few things. You might find your heart pounding. You might start to sweat, your muscles might get tense, your focus might narrow on the lion itself. And there's our good friend again, the stress response. And instead of lions chasing us, we have other predators. For example... If you're sitting at your desk and you get a nasty email from your boss... <laughs> Hopefully your boss is not eating you today. But you have that fight or flight, that adrenaline rush. 
You perceive the threat. Your body gets ready to respond to escape the threat. But the acute response is not the problem. The thing I worry about is that now more and more of us are being exposed to chronic daily stresses, threats that are perceived that aren't really threats. Things like work needing to be done, not getting enough sleep and and the like. So I don't mean to be a party pooper because (laughs) I'm usually a positive person, but Uh I'm just going to say it. It's not really news that stress is bad for you, So, all right. The news is not that stress is affecting our eating. Right. We've all come home at night. You're tired. You're stressed. You've gotten that awful email. In fact, did you not even tell me yesterday? (laughs) What did you eat yesterday night? Well, I didn't. I missed my lunch. So I thought that I could make up the calories with some chocolate cake. Okay. (laughs) And And then I was preparing for the podcast. Hosting a nutrition podcast. Yes. Okay. Reading an article about the dangers of food and, and stress. And that's when I went for the new coconut chocolate Ooh. ice cream. And then? The fudgesicle. While reading a paper about stress and food. And I was pointing at the screen with the fudgesicle stick. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, they're right. Actually, stress changes the types of food that you crave. There's your news. Boom, boom. People shift toward wanting to take more carbohydrates That's why when people are stress eating, typically it tends to be cookies and cakes and that kind of stuff, as opposed to not a lot of stress eating of, say, celery and salad. It kind of makes sense because if we look at what hyperpalatable foods give us in the short term, then of course we reach for them like when we're stressed out, right? Because we need that temporary relief. What you referred to as hyperpalatable foods are often rich in fat or sugar. This is Dr. Mark Potenza, and he studies addictive behaviors, hello, hello, and stress at Yale School (laughs) of Medicine. These sweet and savory foods may have a short-term effect on relieving stress, but may also be associated with longer-term weight gain and um, obesity-related health uh, risks. So if you're coming home at night and like you grab a glass of wine or whatever to de-stress, it's kind of the same idea. But unfortunately, engaging in addictive behaviors to cope with stress may be particularly relevant to uh, females as compared with males. Oh, gosh. What the (laughs) heck? I really do not want to stress you out. But it turns out that the males are the ones that are more often reaching for cigarettes and for alcohol. What the heck? While the women are more likely to reach for the high fat, the high sugar comfort foods. So annoying. (laughs) And we'll take it one more step, Yuna. Okay. So eating more comfort foods and even drinking more alcohol to cope with the stress, that's probably not going to help your waistline. Okay. But also, whether you're a man or a woman, people that have higher levels of cortisol, that's the chronic stress hormone, tend to be even more susceptible to stress eating. No. And I'm going to duck in a second here. Elevated cortisol changes the way your body stores the fat so that more of it goes to your belly. So if I got rid of all my cortisol, would I finally stop stress eating? Well, no. Classic. <laughs> Not a yes or no answer. Classic. You're talking to a doctor here. So we need cortisol in the right amount and at the appropriate times. This is going to keep your system and other hormones well-regulated. In fact, a healthy person's cortisol level follows a pretty consistent pattern. It goes up in the morning. You wake up, you're feeling good like a morning cup of coffee, and then it starts to decrease throughout the day. That's a healthy pattern. But if you get really stressed out, the cortisol spikes and it disrupts this normal pattern. Imagine a fire alarm going off when you're trying to like get ready for bed. 
So now if you're chronically stressed, like a certain someone, <laughs> basically it's like we're in danger of being eaten all day. So the last thing your body would want to do is lose weight or gain muscle. Like that's not for dangerous times. You so know? your body under chronic stress tends to keep putting on more fat. We want to reduce stress and control the behaviors that stress might create. One of the most studied ways of trying to get a hold of stress eating is actually mindfulness-based stress reduction. Here's how Dr. Potenza explains it. Mindfulness-based stress reduction incorporates aspects of Eastern philosophies into a Western medical setting. And some of these involve changing attentional focus. Have you ever done the raisin exercise? What is Dr. Denninger talking about? <laughs> Eddie, have you heard of the raisin exercise? Not only have I heard of the raisin exercise, but... You came prepared today? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm giving you a single raisin. Okay. You got it? I got my single raisin. All right. I want you to regard the raisin. Okay. <laughs> have you ever looked that carefully at the raisin? No, I guess I haven't. Kind of gnarly, huh? Yeah, it's all like wrinkly. Yeah. I mean, like how many wrinkles are there? I mean, there's like more wrinkles than you can imagine, right? Yeah. Maybe smell it now. Okay. Does it smell like anything? Maybe... It smells like my snack boxes when I was little. <laughs> Except there's only one of them. Yeah. And now, nice and easily, just put it in your mouth. Put it on your tongue. No, no, no chewing yet. Oh. Just, just, okay. just sort of experience it. Kind of rolling around. You feel the edges with your tongue. Yeah. Up against your palate and all that. Okay. A little sweet, maybe. Are you experiencing the raisin yet? A little bit. Okay. Now, we're going to listen to the raisin. Take one bite. Hmm. Well, I've never heard it before. <laughs> I really like that exercise because it takes something that is incredibly pedestrian, a raisin, the thing that we throw into our mouths by the handful when we're kids, and it has you really pay attention to it uh, in a way it is, it is unusual for us, certainly approaching things like a raisin, but may also be unusual for how people approach food in general. So again, this may sound simple, but it but doesn't... But not <laughs> easy. <laughs> And I'm certainly guilty of this myself. I'm working on my computer, and before I know it, my lunch has evaporated. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've never eaten a raisin that slowly ever in my life. In fact, I don't remember the last time I ate, like, any food that slowly because ever since I started dieting, like... I would just be so hungry by the time I got to the next meal. I would just literally inhale my celery sticks like a vacuum. And then I'd be like <laughs> waiting for the next meal, like counting down. So I wonder if the dieting was counterproductive in the sense that I was trying to diet to eat less food. But uh -huh. also eating so fast makes you eat more because your body doesn't even get a chance to know that it's full. Mm -hmm. Noticing what you're tasting, savoring every bite can help you to eat less and can also help you to eat differently. Yuna, maybe this is a good time for us to take a short break, and then we can talk about some other mind-body practices, like meditation. Okay, Eddie, but um, could I have another reason? Oh, sure. From WBUR and Reddit, Endless Thread is back with a new special series about a real conspiracy involving a doctor in Montreal, LSD, and the CIA. They saw him confessing, and they thought, somebody else is controlling this guy's mind. Madness. 
the secret mission for mind control, and the people who paid the price. Subscribe to Endless Thread on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. So, Yuna, we've been talking about stress and eating and the relationship between the mind and the body. And I want to ask you, what's been your experience with meditation? I think that basically the way my meditation journey has gone and a lot of my friends' meditation journey has gone is that we download some trendy app like Headspace. Over the next 10 days, I'm going to be showing you how to get a little bit more Headspace in your life. Begin by taking a few deep breaths, breathing in through the nose. And I'll do it for three days, and then, like, you delete it and you never use it again. And out through the mouth. So if that's been your experience with meditation, Dr. Jenninger does have a few words of encouragement. People have this idea that you need to be able to make your mind completely quiet. You need to be able to turn off your thoughts. Well, as human beings, it is a normal process to have your brain be coming up with thoughts. And the thing that you're doing in meditation is not so much trying not to have thoughts as you are trying to notice when you have thoughts that interrupt whatever the focus is that you've chosen and then reorient yourself to whatever you were trying to focus on before. So you may already be aware of all the benefits that come from meditation. Benefits to cognition, increased working memory, decreased reactivity to negative emotional stimuli. But maybe most important to the way we use and abuse, do you like that? Mm -hmm. Use and abuse (laughs) food is the way mindfulness affects something that we call metacognition. People being aware of their own thinking gives us the ability to experience something negative and notice it as opposed to being it. I love this idea of thinking about our thinking. Mm -hmm. And the mindfulness practice is like, when I go to a yoga class or I come out of, I'm doing Tai Chi now at work. Oh, cool. And one of the things that I really enjoy is that it actually gives me like a little bit of a break between the thing that I hear and then my response. It's that space in between the thought and the action. So maybe just that little delay will get me to not reach for the fudgesicle after I've had it. I was going to say, the, it's like the fudgesicle after. It's like the things that come after you already made and one And there's something decision. compelling about the fudgesicle because if you don't eat it quickly enough, it just makes this huge mess. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to eat it fast. Right. Um, something else that can physiologically change our stress response, which is crazy. Like this will physically change the way your body is responding to stress. You ever seen a baby breathe? We don't breathe like babies breathe. Their bellies inflate like little balloons. As grown-ups, especially in our appearance-conscious society, we so often want our shoulders and chests to be big and our bellies to be flat that we don't allow our diaphragms to expand and the breath to push our bellies out. So, Yuna, here's the really cool thing about breathing. Yeah. Okay. That raisin that you had a few minutes ago, your body's already digesting it. You don't have to think about that part, right? Yes. Your blood is flowing and your brain is working and your temperature is just, it's all automatic. Yes. On the other hand, you have all these things that you could do volitionally, like I'm going to move my arm. Breathing is in between. What? When you were asleep last night or someone's unconscious, their body keeps on breathing. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) But... You also have enough control that you could speed up your breathing, or more importantly to what we're talking about here, you can slow it down. When you slow down your breathing, you can actually calm your nervous system, lower your heart rate. 
make yourself less reactive to all of the stresses that are going on. I've heard this a lot and I, you know, always tried it like, oh yeah, I'll try doing one deep breath or two deep breaths mm -hmm. or whatever. It's not the type of thing that like you should just do one deep breath. If you do like seven deep breaths, you will really feel a difference. So don't just go and then be like, oh yeah, I don't feel anything. I'm still so stressed. Oh my God. I want to relax faster than anyone else. Yeah, exactly. It's like you can't approach it that way. It really has to be something where like you feel your stomach push out, which for me is a traumatizing experience. Like I will not face people when I'm doing this. But, but even a few minutes ago when you walked in here stressed out about doing this podcast. Yeah, and we you, did it, the one breath. And that's like a little mini. Right. Even a breath like that. You know what my cue is? What? That freaking little circle on the computer, <laughs> the circle of oh. death. When that's floating around there, and I just go, that's my cue. <sighs> Try it at a red light. There's enough of those. Yes. And I think if you're feeling very overwhelmed, then even taking like a minute will just like slow down your entire day mm -hmm. so that you can actually like think about what's going on and not just be reacting, reacting, reacting all day. And one of the other cool things is actually the conversation that we're having now, the uh -huh. social connection. So this is actually something really important to talk about when we're talking about stress reduction because, Eddie, you're a little bit older than me. We won't oh. say how much, just a little <laughs> bit older. Um, so it may not apply to you, but for people of my generation, basically we talk all the time through social media. And so in one way, it kind of gets in the way of really meeting people in person and seeing their facial expressions mm -hmm. instead of just seeing emojis all day. This is John Denninger again from the Institute of Mind-Body Medicine at Mass General. One of the central things is bonds between us and other humans. And there's very, very good evidence that social connection is incredibly important for health. Plus, not only does being on your phone really take away from you seeing people in real life, but it also completely changes the way you see the world around you. In the old days, if you saw lions all the time, there were probably a lot of lions near you. Nowadays, if you see horrible things, if you see disasters, if you see people starving, if you see people being abducted and all this kind of stuff, you may get the impression that this is happening at a much higher rate near you than it actually is. And that is one of the things that probably raises our stress level in an unhealthy way. Okay, do not tell me you haven't like seen the news sometimes and just been like, oh my God, we're going to die. Let's eat. <laughs> Um, so the message I'm getting here is basically put down your phone, uh -huh. take deep breaths, meditate, be present. And I'm going to add one more. Okay. All right. Because, you know, for some of us, the traditional meditation is not going to do it. But there's another way of getting into a mindful state. And it oh. just happens to be my favorite topic. What? Exercise? Exercise. Yep. Practices like Tai Chi and yoga... Sometimes we call them like body-mind practices instead of mind-body practices because they start with the body. They can be especially good for folks who want to do some kind of mindfulness practice and have a harder time entering that through seated meditation and those sorts of things. So they're great that way. Okay, so basically overall, we know stress makes you eat more mm -hmm. and it changes the kinds of foods you want, yep. which like I get. But the problem is, Eddie, I don't think there's ever going to be a time in my life when I don't have stress. Like... I'm going to be trying to do cool things, which will uh -huh, always uh -huh. stress me out, you know? And if you didn't have any stress, you'd be stressed out by the boredom. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be stressed as to why you don't have stress, it would, it would, right? It would, it would be awful. And, you know, in the end, to be a little philosophical, we really don't have control over most of the circumstances of our life. Right. 
if you've ever tried to raise teenagers. Can't relate, <laughs> but yes, okay. But we can make ourselves just a little bit more resilient to the stress. And maybe that's what we're after here. So doing mindfulness exercises or breathing deeply or exercises like yoga and tai chi, those things make you better able to cope with the stress you have. And even if you only did like a little mini relaxation like we did at the beginning of this podcast, one deep breath, even that can help you maybe slow your heart rate, reduce your body's response to the stress, and maybe just give you that little space where the next choice you make is not reaching for the, the fudgesicle <laughs> after the, the cake, cake and, and the ice cream. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably, probably a better decision right. not to do that. I'll take a deep, deeper breath next time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to our stress-free guests, Dr. John Denninger and Dr. Mark Potenza. If what you're hearing blisses you out, please leave a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps us reach more listeners. And if you want to see me and Eddie try Lapsang Chong this week, mm, be sure to, to follow us on Instagram because we post all the time and it's awesome. And relaxing. <laughs> and if what you're hearing leaves you with a burning question, soothe yourself by sending a voice memo to foodweneedtotalk at gmail.com. Next week's episode is going to be our second Q&A bonus episode focused on exercise. You guys sent in so many great questions and we cannot wait to answer them. And in the meantime, if you could do us the tiniest favor and take a five-minute survey at wbur.org slash food survey, it would really help us out, especially if you're interested in us doing a season two. Please go to wbur.org slash food survey. It'll really help us out. Food We Need to Talk is a production of WBUR. Our editor and producer is George Hicks. Our supervising editor is Elizabeth Harrison, and our executive producer is Carrie Goldberg. With additional editorial and technical guidance from Catherine Brewer, Paul Vikas, and the WBUR iLab. I'm Dr. Eddie Phillips. And I'm Yuna Jada, and I'm going to go take a relaxing bath. And I'm going to finish the raisins. Those are already gone. From WBUR and Reddit, Endless Thread is back with a new special series about a real conspiracy involving LSD, a doctor in Montreal, and the CIA. People have a hard time grasping the reality of this. Madness. They saw him confessing, and they thought, somebody else is controlling this guy's mind. A story in five parts about the secret mission for mind control and the people who paid the price. Light deprivation, shock treatment, hallucinogenic drugs. What came home was a shadow, a shell of a man. I want everyone to know that I went through hell. Subscribe to Endless Thread on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.